I'm Joel Norman, and it's another edition of the Apple Sox podcast, as we've got a special guest today as we get set for the next round of the postseason, joined by Ryan Carlson, the voice of the Bellingham Bells. And we're here to talk a little bit about some playoff baseball. Ryan, uh, similar to the Apple Sox, Bellingham also swept their first-round opponent. Give me a little bit of a rundown on how that series went, because those games were a little bit closer than the ones that the Apple Sox and Kamloops played. Yeah, the Bells didn't uh, outscore the Victoria Harbor Cats 29-3 in the first round, uh, but it was a great series, and thank you, Joel, for having me on here. This podcast was looking forward to doing this, and uh, we really didn't know who we were going to play the last weekend of the year. We Bells have known for a while they'd be in the playoffs since winning the first half with that great first half the Bells had, uh, but we really didn't know who we'd play until Sunday, the final game of the regular season, it ended up being Victoria which beat Edmonton in the final game of the year to uh, actually sneak into that fourth spot in the North. So uh, we were really thinking, uh, are we going to Edmonton, Kamloops, or Victoria? Ended up being the Harbor Cats. So uh, we were okay with that. Just a quick bus up north of the border and then ferry across. It's a nice trip out there. And the Bells found a lot of success in game one. Uh, We saw our Brant Panzer, Wesley Moore duo, bring lights out pitching again, which proved uh, to be massive in the 8-2 win in game one. The Bells were able to bring that back home up one game to zero and then fought back in game two. It was Victoria for most of uh, the second game in front until the bottom of the eighth inning when the Bells jumped in front by two runs, four to two, and that held on for the final top half of the ninth where Cameron Dayton struck out the side and uh, Bellingham or Joe Martin Field and Bellingham just erupted and and Bells were able to seal the deal to, to face the Apple Sox. Yeah, it's nice to have, uh, I think, two historic teams in this West Coast, like two founding members taking on each other. I think it's always exciting when we have matchups like that. I, I enjoyed personally from the first round series between the Apple Sox and Kamloops. You had a 22-year-old franchise in Wenatchee and a first-year team in Kamloops. And I thought that was, I thought that was great for the league, having that kind sure. of matchup. But uh, you talked about pitching a little bit. It feels like you can't talk about the Bellingham Bells year after year without talking about pitching. Uh, 353 ERA, second best in the West Coast League. Uh, whether Jim Clem is there or not, they seem to find pitchers. Who are some guys who impressed you this year? Oh, man, right off the bat, Trevin Holt, best ERA in the West Coast League. And uh, the Bells, including this past game where he got the start in game two at home, are 9-1 and one when he gets the start this year. And uh, he was awarded Bellingham Bell of the Year for a player who most exemplified what it means to be a Bell on at the at the clubhouse, at the field, and uh, in the community. And uh, Trevin Hope couldn't think of anybody more deserving than that. And uh, obviously, blowing every, everybody away with the uh, best ERA. And uh, I forget how many walks he had in Game 2. Uh, just one. So with included in the overall numbers, that's seven walks on the year just an absurd number some absurd numbers for trevin hope and he's been so fun to watch he's got such a calm and, and humble demeanor too he's he's just a great guy loved all around the clubhouse so that's been uh, fun to watch from from my standpoint the two-year bell being awarded here greatly uh in the postseason but also that brant panzer from stanford university and then uh wesley moore from kansas state we've seen that duo the past four tuesday nights and uh they had their best outing in the nimo in between two games against Victoria, week in a three-week span, uh, all on Tuesday. But Nanaimo, um, Brand Panzer set a season-high strikeout total for the Bells, going I think five innings, ten strikeouts. Wow! Uh, and then Wesley Moore came in to top things off in a 14-0 win. So those two are 
electric to watch. They got the start on Tuesday in Victoria. So I think four or five Tuesdays in a row we got to see that. That's been huge. And then uh, looking at it as a season, I mean, you have guys like Chris Campos, who was unfortunately had to leave us about halfway through for the MLB draft, was selected by the Los Angeles Dodgers in the seventh round, I believe. Um, a guy who could play on the left side of the infield all game, produce at the plate, then come in top of the ninth, bottom of the ninth, whenever, and try to close things out. He blew it by guys sitting mid nineties with the fastball. And the guy was uh, also just a tremendous person and uh, very deserving. And then you got a guy like Ty Saunders who did the same thing, uh, play at shortstop, you know, left side of the infield. And uh, we actually, fun story about halfway through the year we had four non-league games the weekend of july 4th and the first of the four games that weekend i think it was a friday because we were including monday july 4th itself uh, we played that day uh ty saunders got the start on the mound it was his first time pitching in about three years and the guy was tossing uh low 90s in the as a starter and it got what the first three innings against uh the cascade collegiate showcase team and um Coaches were like, hey, you know what? Maybe we have something here. So Ty actually filled in the shoes of Campos after he left being drafted by L.A. And then Ty Saunders filled that hole for us, uh, closed a couple games out like Campos did. And then you got another one of those guys, Noah Meffert, who uh, has also been a dual threat on the mound and that shortstop for the Bills as of late. So it's really fun to see these guys fill those holes. And then, of course, the entire pitching staff, credit to uh, pitching coach Carlos Arroyo and assistant pitching coach Cody Anderson for their work with the pitchers uh, who have been just tremendous all season, tremendous people. And, and the, the whole group's been great to be around. So, uh, but like you said, pitching for the bells has, um, has been solid again for another year. And it's been, it's been fun to watch. And as you and I both know, a lot of these games do depend on how the pitching is. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's proved uh, to, to benefit. I mean, teams with good pitching. So we, we've seen that, and that's been fun to watch. Bell shut out the Apple Sox twice earlier in the year. Not many teams did that this year. Uh, when Anchi had the league's best, uh, most runs scored, second best batting average. I, I was so impressed with Bellingham's arms when, when, we, when we faced you guys earlier this year. I mean, it takes a lot to win six consecutive games against a team. I'm looking back at the schedule, trying to get the specific days. That was June 14th through 19th. I mean, Obviously, I'm sure you guys are having a much different reaction than how we did, but that was that was impressive. I mean, it's it is really hard to win six straight games against the same team. How big was that for the team's first half success? Because that was about probably about the second week of the season when that was happening, and that had to be a huge confidence booster for Bellingham. Oh, it sure was. After a weird start to the year with three cancellations, uh, you know, we were just kind of trying to get this thing off the ground, and then six straight wins against the Apple Sox led to a 15 and two stretch for the bells when they won 10 in a row and then lost two to on the six game road trip to Corvallis and then one in bend. Um, but it was massive. I mean, the, you could just feel the energy after every game, just getting back on the bus and it was just light and it's just, uh, it, it's, it's hard to explain sometimes, but the, this, the guys were, were feeling great and really just enjoying it wherever we were, uh, whether it was at home or, at Wenatchee, at Corvallis, at Bend, uh, the boys are riding a, a big wave of momentum, and uh, that proved to be uh, very beneficial and obviously helped seal the deal in the first half. The Bills uh, were the best team in the, in the first half, largely in part 
to that 10 game win streak um, going 15 and two then in that stretch, which, which helped lock up seed number one in the North. Um, and that we've seen a lot of turnover with, it seems like every team in this second half guys come and go. And that's just part of the West coast league. Uh, so guys from that squad have left uh, that, that winning squad in the first half. Cause it was so early on you mentioned the dates back in, in June, um, but that was just tremendous. And the guys who are still here, still feeding off that obviously. And, and this new core getting it done in the playoffs as well with the, with the sweep against Victoria. And, um, but no, that, that, that win, that win streak was very special. And then you see a team like Corvallis go win 16 in a row of the second half. Uh, so some big streaks, uh, here at the West coast league this year, but that was, that was a good time. And, and, uh, again, started way back on the road in Wenatchee, um, a long time ago, but, uh, yeah, pitching was, was just solid. And it was, it was a fun run for sure. Bells went 19 and seven in the first half, second half, things kind of, it got a little bit tougher, 14 and 13. You guys kind of gutted it out down the stretch there. What was the biggest thing you felt like changed in the second half? you think it was because of some of that turnover that every team deals with? Do you think that really was something that changed things up a little bit? Or was it just the first half was that incredible? It was going to be really hard to match that again anyway. Yeah, that's a good question. I think uh, part of that turnover definitely uh, played a role because you, you lost some of those big names to the draft. Um, like Chris Campos and um, others who had to depart, go back to their collegiate programs. So you mentioned the talk about Jack Vandermortel having to go back to the University of Michigan, and then uh, Cole Hage to Columbia University. Some massive bats having to depart the Bells, who were part of that Big Ten game stretch. And uh, we've actually had a couple guys come back since that first half, and um, it's been quite a turnover this year, which, which it was last year as well. But uh, that, that played a major factor in terms of um, having a just above 500 record there in the second half of play uh, compared to the first half, like you said, 19 and seven. So a lot of those guys did have to return to their collegiate programs uh, as always throughout the summer. And um, it was just that, that first half team was, was insanely special. And, uh, but we're, you know, confident now watching these guys sweep the first round against victoria the guys who have come in from local colleges or schools from across the country we have one uh player from ucla who's i think six or seven games in joined us the last week of play so that's you know that, that's just part of it part of the the west coast league you, you try to find guys when you need them and and those guys who do come in you hope that they can mold quickly to the uh clubhouse culture which i think head coach hayden hastings assistant David Higuera and then the coaching staff have also really implemented well here this this back half of the year uh, to kind of cultivate that environment in the clubhouse uh, which has proved successful into the playoffs and uh, plus these guys who have joined the Bells knew they were going to the playoffs this year right they, they didn't right. which is a unique aspect of the West Coast League because you have a team you have two teams who know that halfway through the year and so how do you you know, we, we've talked about find something to to play for. Obviously, these guys are competitors each and every game they want to win. But knowing that you're going to the playoffs as the first seed, you know, you don't have that. You have that cushion now going into the second half. Right. And obviously, uh, again, they want to win each and every game. But uh, all that combined, I think, resulted in the, in the second half being obviously uh, not what it was in, in the first, but also uh, no 10 game win streak in the second half as well. It's uh, got some great competition in this league and it's been, been great to watch a lot of great parody 
And uh, we saw that in round one down on the south too. Yakima uh, giving Corvallis a run for its money here in round one. Uh, so it's it's been a, a fun year, no doubt. That was, it's funny you brought that up. That was the thing I was going to talk about with winning the first half, which I think if anyone says that isn't their goal, they're lying. Because obviously if you can clinch a spot and not have to worry about it, that's very ideal. But I was going to ask you that next is how does that, how did you feel like that, you know, with, with the Bells playing with already winning the first half, how was their mindset in the second half? Was it more kind of, we can relax with some stuff. We can try a few things out knowing that one, X, Y, and Z players will be gone. And we kind of need to test this guy out in these situations because of these games are essentially meaningless. Did you notice anything like that? Because I think a lot of coaching staffs would love that kind of opportunity. I think there was a little bit of that. I, not a ton, to be honest. A lot of the time I felt like clinching the first half was kind of forgot about. We, we talked to the guys when we did that, um, clinched the first half, and, and they said, yeah, you know, uh, Nice to know we're going to the playoffs, but you know we still want to win and, and get it done. But I think there was a little bit of flexibility on the coach's side to to try a few things and maybe just mentally prepare for playoffs and try to juggle, do that coach's juggle of guys who are coming and going. I can only imagine uh, how the logistics of of the coach's room there goes with with the the player turnover. But um, yeah, I, I think. Uh, they, they've done a great job of finding those guys and, and putting guys like Saunders and Noah Mefford at, at different spots and moving moving this guy who just played first base over to third and, and, and putting this guy in the outfield who's been catching all year. You know, one game, I, our catcher, our workhorse catcher, Will Cresswell, uh, I have no idea until the final out of the game. He was at first, and the, there was a ground out play to first, and he was there, and I was like, oh, it's Will Cresswell there for the final out. You know, so they're... There, he, he will play first. He's a tremendous catcher and, and has been solid the first two games. But um, I think there has been flexibility to do that, knowing you're going to the playoffs as the first seed. So there has been, again, that that kind of weight off the shoulders, too, um, especially uh, this final series. Again, you want to win the series, uh, but there is that flexibility to to experiment with things and put some put some pitchers in and, and not be uh, not have to be as locked down, go for broke for the playoffs here. Uh, which has been a, a a nice again weight off the shoulders for the coaches. Oh, I'm sure. I, I mean, it's you talk about just the changing players around. I, I I don't know how these coaches are able to put together this jigsaw puzzle that is a August summer collegiate baseball roster. I mean, just some of the guys. You know, you ever played third before? Well, you're gonna try it today. You know, something like oh, that. It's funny. it's so impressive. I mean, have you learned? You talked about Cresswell playing a little bit of first briefly. Have you learned a lot about any players just with their flexibility to play some different positions? Oh, for sure. And, you know, Cresswell, he's more been inserted in a, in a jovial way. Uh, he was in Port Angeles well, the, for the series finale. It was a rubber match on Sunday, and Cresswell came in to pitch oh. in the bottom of the ninth. Bells had an 11-7 lead. And this is just perfect because it's Will Cresswell. And if you know him, you talk to some of the guys, they're going to say he's the funniest guy on the team. Great great clubhouse presence. And uh, he comes out for, or he goes, he enters the game for Chris Foster in the ninth. He needs two outs. And Port Angeles had at least one on at first. First pitch is fouled off. And the very next pitch, Port Angeles grounds into a double play. Bells win 11-7. And Cresswell goes off the mound. Both hands up. It's that easy. And gave our captain <laughs> Jacob Schroeder a hug at the time. Uh, but, you know, it's it's been fun to learn about guys that way. 
just just learn their their persona and their their uh, different personalities, which has been great. But other guys like Noah Meffert, who started the year, he actually pitched on opening night for the Bells way back on May 31st against the Springfield Drifters and went two innings, six strikeouts, uh, six strikeouts in a row after walking the first two batters. I'd love to retell that that story. Um, actually left for a majority of the, the season and uh, has rejoined the Bells here the past week and a half in their in their playoff push here uh, in the postseason. And he's been at shortstop, on the mound, uh, in the outfield, in the infield, anywhere. Um, and then other guys like Ty Saunders you could put anywhere on the mound and uh, in the infield. We saw Jace Phelan before he had to leave at first base, also pitch a couple innings. And and uh, center fielder Tucson Bythewood got an inning down in Ridgefield. Uh, against the Raptors, who are obviously the, the best batting team in the league. So it's it's fun to see those guys get those opportunities. And, you know, it's it's the coaches making it fun for them because, you know, they're talking about it down in the dugout. Uh, hey, I could pitch. Let me go out there for an inning. They're, they're probably begging these coaches to do this. And uh, it's paid off. It, sometimes it hasn't, but uh, it has paid off for for those instances where guys are allowed to go out, have some fun with, with the game in, in summer ball. And uh, it's it's been fun to watch. Obviously, you know where their their main positions are, and sure. they're dominant there. But it's uh, it's been fun to watch them fill in at other spots, and it you could tell that it's just fun for them that they're having a good time out there, which makes it fun for everybody else. We've talked a lot about departures, and I'll put you on the spot a little bit with this one, and I'll answer for the Apple Sox as well. I want to hear who you think has been the the biggest departure from the Bells, but also the biggest addition. And by addition, I mean talking about since at least mid-July. So one player who's been the biggest, it's been the toughest loss to not have him right now in the postseason, and the one guy who it's like, wow, this has been a huge pickup. Yeah, great question. Um I got to say, biggest departure was be Elijah Hainline from Washington State University, um, top in the West Coast League in stolen bases, and uh, was the Bells' leadoff man for the majority of the regular season. And uh, just a just a fun personality, became a fan favorite really quickly this whole regular season. And uh, Hainline just raked. I mean, he would jump on him early in the game. Had a took the first pitch over left center in cam loops for one game, first pitch of the game and did the same in Victoria on the second pitch of the game. Uh, so this guy could just get it done everywhere and was tremendous on the infield. We usually had him at short or second. And uh, again, was the, the bills go to leadoff guy had, had, had to get him on base with his base running ability and, and speed. So, uh, and was the leader, I think for the majority of the first half in, in most bells batting categories, I have it circled here in this the scorebook, uh, all those categories that he led in early on. So that one was a bit, uh, a bummer. Um, I'd say the biggest addition, and I can't recall his first game with the Bells, but would be a high school graduate, soon to be Stanford freshman Malcolm Moore, uh, exploding here in the playoffs. Massive story uh, as to how the Bells have found so much success against the Victoria Harbor Cats in round one, but Malcolm Moore has been exciting. And another one of those extremely humble guys, this guy has been a, a high school Gatorade player of the year twice at McClatchy high school in Sacramento and um, joined the bells after, well, I don't know for sure. I can't recall exactly what date, but uh, right now it looked like his first game was July 23rd against Kelowna. At gotcha. least the regular season. That's what I'm seeing on, on point streak, but 
could have gotten an online game or two before, but that makes sense. Yeah, because I know it was later, but he has been a massive addition, just a huge left-handed bat for the Bills in the lineup, and uh, been super exciting to watch. And um, you could tell he's had a real effect on this this whole this whole clubhouse and this dugout. The, the guys love him, and uh, he's getting respect from everybody in the in the clubhouse for his ability. And he's been a massive pickup and massive addition to the bells. And he was expected to join us all summer. We were just kind of awaiting his arrival. And um, ever since he's, he's been here, he's wanted to win and he's, he's providing a ton for bells baseball. He was a, a huge pickup. I mean, that day game two against Victoria, just looking at the stat line five for five, two RBI eight for eight in the postseason. I'm, I think it's safe to say if he probably has another perfect night at the plate, uh, Bellingham will probably win <laughs> on Saturday night. But uh, Hainline was, I mean, he impressed me so much just in those six games against the Apple Sox. It felt like every game he was on base at least twice. Uh-huh. He, had, he did much better in the games in Bellingham, but he still found a ton of ways to get on base uh, in the series against Wenatchee. So I asked you the tough question, so I'll, an- I'll answer that as well. There's a couple ones who I could argue for the toughest departure for the Apple Sox. This is a very offensive heavy team. And I'm going to go with Matt Hallback, who he joined the team on June 17th. So he wasn't there for those three games in Bellingham when our team saw each other earlier this year. But Hallback had a great season. I would argue he was probably the team's best pure hitter. Um, That was what our head coach was saying as well. He had a 329 average in 33 games. Uh, He just was a multi-hit machine, it felt like, uh, at times down the stretch. He was one of those players who was supposed to be with the team for the entire season once he joined them. But he suffered. He pulled his hamstring. It was uh, July 29th. We were at Kamloops. He drew four walks that night. Final plate appearance. Uh, I think he reached on an error, hits first base a little bit hard, done for the season right there. And it just that was a tough loss because that was someone you booked on being there uh, the rest of the way. As for the player who I think has been the biggest addition for the Apple Sox, that's where it gets really tough because there's been a lot of new faces recently. But I'm going to go with uh, shortstop DJ Massey because Iva Arquette was the team's everyday shortstop pretty much the whole summer. He did not play in nine games in the first two months. He started every other game besides that at shortstop. Six of those games that he missed were against Bellingham. He got drafted this year in the in the post in the MLB draft by Arizona. And my favorite stat all year for the first two months was the Apple Sox are 0-9 when Ivar Kett doesn't play. <laughs> and, and I don't uh, think that was a coincidence. I don't think that was a coincidence that they lost those six games to Bellingham because he was such a tough loss. Uh, incoming freshman at Washington, and it really hurt to lose him. But since picking up Massey, the Apple Sox haven't really lost the beat defensively. In fact, Massey might make a few more plays than Arquette did, and he's a pretty good hitter as well. So I would argue he's been the most important addition then from that point of view. But that's what I think you probably have enjoyed this too. It's just it's interesting seeing these new guys come in because there's such a dynamic of, you know, here's the team that's been here all year, and then here's the group of guys who are here for the postseason. Uh, I mean, I think we, of position players, the Apple Sox only have three or four guys who have been there since day one but the rest have been these plugins over the course of a summer. And um, it's, it's interesting. I think how that, that works out as well. I want to ask you about the playoff format. What are your thoughts on how things have changed this year? Cause obviously you got to witness last year's postseason run. Uh, Bellingham won the second half playoff spot, lost in three games to Yakima. And then, then of course there was the West coast league championship series. 
How do you like how this, and obviously we're not into the really crazy part of it yet, but how do you like how it looks right now with what's going to be a hectic final three days of the, of the 2022 season? Oh, it's going to be crazy. No doubt about that. And uh, I think you nailed it. The, those are two big losses there for Wenatchee, but Oyama, he's still around, isn't he? He's going to be, he's going to be a big bat has been all year for the Apple Sox. So um, it's going to be a great round two. West Coast League North Divisional Championship coming up here. And I think in the South also, top pitching team versus the top batting team in the South in Corvallis and Ridgefield. But I like it. So the first round, best of three, uh, allows all markets, all eight markets to host at least one game, which is great. And uh, Victoria and Bellingham both got one game in round one. And then you reward the higher seeds with, Additional games. So the Bells would have had game three. Wenatchee would have had game three. Uh, and it obviously, um, Wenatchee getting one and one in round one as well. But I like it. And then from there, you, you thin out the field, make it eight to four, top four now. You reward the, the higher seeds with the home field advantage. And uh, you just got to play your best baseball in one game against these teams and um, see who has more fight and who can get it done in, in one game and advance to the finals, which is another game. Uh, but I do like a couple aspects of it that, that all markets get to host, um, which was the case last year as well. But uh, all round one markets get to host and that it's an expanded field. Eight out of 16 teams make it. A lot of the major leagues, uh, a lot of the pro leagues have about half the field uh, making the postseason. So I really like that aspect of it. And um I, I do like the the one and dones here for the what divisional championship, and then the championship game. Uh, obviously, um, for logistics purposes, you have to get guys back to school. They're all uh, on the brink of having to return, uh, so that's that plays a role into that. But uh, what about you? How do you like it? You've been here in the West Coast League a little bit longer than I have, but um, yeah, those are my thoughts. It's, it's interesting. Uh, in a way, I, I hear from a lot of fans. And just other people, observers, they have said, well, why doesn't why isn't the league set up so that the later rounds are the ones that have more games? And I had to explain exactly what you just mentioned, that the reason why the first round had more games was so that every team has a chance to host. That was why the owners agreed on this. They wanted to have if my team is going to make the playoffs, but we're a lower seed. It's not advantageous for me to, you know, travel eight hours to Wenatchee unless we have at least one home game in there, which was exactly the case in that series between the Apple Sox and the North Pauls. Was it ideal travel for either team? No, it was not. But both teams got a home game. Both teams got the opportunity to have a lot of people there. So it worked out, I think, very well from that standpoint. I'm intrigued how uh, these final, I guess we can call them final three games are going to be. It's This is basically like putting three wild card games at the major league level together and just saying uh, two winners are going to meet and then we're going to play the one last game and it's, it gives it that game seven feel, which is, it's going to be a ton of fun, I think in a lot of ways, but it's going to be interesting if we have, I think all four teams, I'll put it this way. I think all four teams who have made it to this point are deserving to call themselves West coast league champions. Others might disagree. I think if it had been someone else who had gotten in and that's not a knock on other teams, but I'm saying if someone else who was a lower seed had gotten up, I think there might've been more question if they had won because it'd be saying, okay, if that's a team below 500, why are they a West Coast League champ? Why are they in this position? And my thinking with that is that the benefit is that if, if you're that hot and if you're rolling down the stretch like that, and if you can win this many elimination games, then you deserve to win a championship. So 
I, I'm intrigued over the next few days, but I think this is going to be a really successful final weekend. I'm curious if in the offseason that things may or may not change because that remains to be seen. As you and I have seen, division alignments, playoff structure has been very fluid in this league. And that's the fun part about this league is that we're not controlled by someone else. We can make these decisions as the owners can make these decisions each offseason. So I would say right now I'm intrigued and I think it's going to be exciting down the stretch. So I would say then the best way to describe that is cautiously optimistic. (laughs) I agree. No, that's that's a great way to put it. I like what I like what you said about it makes it three game sevens, right? You got to move on. It's a one and done, and uh, in a sprint towards this finish. So it's it's going to be exciting. Can't wait to see you back in Bellingham yeah. tomorrow for for game the West Coast League North Championship game, and it's uh, it's going to be exciting. It will be. It always is in the playoffs. Yeah, Ryan. Uh, thank you for doing this with me. I really appreciate you spending a little bit of time, man. Oh, this was great. Joel, always great checking in and chatting with you. Thanks for having me on and uh, hope all the listeners can tune in and enjoy the West Coast League North Championship game tomorrow. We'll, we'll both be there and it'll be, a, it'll be a great game. Yeah, if I know Bellingham, it'll be a, a packed house as well. So that'll make it even more special. But no doubt it's going to be a, a fun playoff atmosphere and uh, maybe some cowbells. In the- that does it for this edition of the Apple Sox podcast. I'm Joel Norman, and we thank you for tuning in. Make sure to subscribe on Spotify and Apple Sox podcast. Subscribe on there today to get the latest notifications about the newest episodes that we drop. The Apple Sox are one win away from advancing to the West Coast League Championship game. Wenatchee travels to Joe Martin Field to face the Bellingham Bells this Saturday at 6.35 p.m. in the North Division Championship game. The Apple Sox swept the Kamloops North Paws earlier this week and continue their quest to win their sixth West Coast League championship. You can listen to all the action right here on Sunny FM with coverage beginning at 610 with the Harana Estates Winery pregame show. Wenatchee will also be hosting a watch party on Saturday for the 635 p.m. game on the scoreboard at Paul Thomas Senior Stadium. It's a free event for all fans and concessions will be available as well. Thanks for tuning in. This is the Apple Sox podcast.